2: Welcome to Upfront, I'm Chloe Morgan. And I'm Rachel Sullivan. So that is a wrap for 2022, and what a year it's been! Only some very, very small moments this year. Uh, we get stuck into the final weekend before the winter break as Manchester United trade blows with Man City, while Arsenal and Chelsea ride some choppy waters to keep ahead of the chasing pack. But are we on for a four-way title race in the new year? Plus, a fascinating London derby, and drum roll, please. Rachel and I are going to share our moments of the year and write a list of New Year's resolutions for women's football for 2023 with the help of some familiar voices, too. I mean, Rach, I think it was only fitting really that we just decided to do the pod with us two. We won't have any guests on this episode, but I think it's only right that both of us take some time out to reflect on how amazing this year has been for us both and also for, for women's football. What do you think, Rach? Yeah, and it also gave us an opportunity to to get some help from some of the guests we've had.
1: So rather than just having the one, we've gotten some some. Nice feelings and, and thoughts from
2: those who have graced our studio this this last half season. Friends of the pod, we've given them some badges. It's the least they could do, surely. What a weekend it's been. Uh, the snow, I mean, you've got to touch on it. We're British, so of course we've got to talk about the weather. It's caused absolute chaos uh, for everyone at work, for everyone in their social lives, and most importantly, for the WSL and Championship fixtures, most of which have obviously been postponed um yeah i mean we had our own issue on sunday turned up seven o'clock on a sunday everyone was expecting a small smattering of of snow um and then the absolute heavens opened and the entire pitch was caked in this like beautiful white frosting and it was glorious to watch but also trying to see the players warm up in that and trying to understand what the ref was thinking in um, you know leaving it five minutes before before kickoff to, to announce the postponement was um Utter madness. Yeah, Race, Did you get caught out at all? Because we got caught out big time.
1: So we did two games on Sunday. We we did um, Spurs-West Ham, which was cold um, and very, very foggy. And then raced across London to get to Chelsea versus Reading. And when we arrived at Chelsea, it was already snowing. And it did not stop for the full 90 minutes. In fact, it just got heavier and heavier. And I kind of think if it wasn't on Sky, it probably wouldn't have gone ahead. Because... You know, that looked like a very solid pitch, Um, but it made for some beautiful photos and some beautiful content. And there is something very magical about, you know, big, chunky snowflakes falling. And so, yeah, it was an experience and then had to get in the car and try and drive down to Kent afterwards. So that was um, a challenge, to (laughs) say the least.
2: I think it was, it was that, like content-wise, obviously because I'm doing quite a lot of the media stuff for Palace now. I mean, it was beautiful photos, sort of speckled, like these speckled photos, beautiful snow everywhere. The girls were obviously having quite a lot of fun, you know, trying to see where the lines on the pitch were, which was great. And um, Polly Duran, one of our Aussie players, it was the first time that she'd ever seen snow in real oh. life and her face. It was just, um, it was the biggest delight. Uh, and I wish I'd captured it for content because that would have been absolute gold, but I didn't because I was too busy editing out all the inappropriate things that the players say <laughs> behind the scenes to make sure it was uh, it was all above board. But um, yeah, it was a lovely weekend, but obviously a bit disappointing to have so many fixtures called off. It was um, yeah. the start of the FA Cup uh, run and campaign, uh, third round for, for a lot of the championship teams who now have to play that in uh, in January, I think now. So yeah, and then we've got the Conti Cup again this uh, this weekend. So a lot of cup fixtures sort of squeezed squeezed in before the Christmas break. Weather permitting. Of course. <laughs> Weather permitting, as long as you don't have another blizzard before then. Um, but yeah, I mean, this weekend, obviously, a couple of the fixtures did go ahead and some of the big ones. And the biggest one, the Manchester derby. Obviously, this was one that I was paying very close attention to. Uh, Man City and Man United spoiling, uh, spoiling the fun, um, sharing the spoils. One 1-1. Um, but yeah, I mean, Rachel, you manage to catch much of it. It was, um, yeah, it was a good game. So I, th- what was great about the kickoffs this weekend was that
1: we were able to listen to that match for on the drive up to the Spurs West Ham game, which I then had on my phone while I was shooting at that game. And then the drive over to Chelsea Reading, we were able to listen to Aston Villa Arsenal and and catch some of that as well. So it feels like in some way or another, I managed to catch most of the fixtures, whether it was listening or watching. Um, but yeah, well, I was saying this to you guys before we started recording. This game now feels like two gladiators battling it out. It's no longer a David and Goliath type of match. Um, You know, it was really, watching it, it it sounded hard to call. Like, Man City sounded like they were in the ascendancy at the beginning, and then it swung back around to to Man United, obviously getting the first goal. And I felt like the second half started again with the momentum the other way. So it just sounded like an epic battle, which is what we love. And it's very much, as we were saying earlier, a a four-horse race now. You know, it's... I feel like for Man United, getting that win over Arsenal, it's like a, a bogey. Getting that win over the over the top three, if you like, um, has really done wonders for their confidence, and I think you could see that in the in that match of the weekend.
2: Yeah, I think um, initially I, I had my concerns. I think, you know, the first opening minutes of the game, it looked like, uh, you know, Man City were going to potentially run away with the points. Uh, I think Man United looked a little bit, they looked a little bit shaky, which wasn't like them. You know, when coming up against Arsenal, I saw, you know, it was quite, they were quite bolshy. They were confident. They, um, you know, were expecting to get something out of the game. But this time I, I saw a little bit of a of a shift uh, in, in that confidence. Not too much, but I just think, you know, there was a little bit of a, a, a doubts maybe creeping in, um, but I was obviously quite disappointed that they didn't pick up the, the three points uh, for, from their local rivals for the for the sixth time. Um, I know Mark Skinner sort of spoke of uh, you know a really great mentality shift in this game, and I think that sort of touched on what you were saying there, Rach. That you know it doesn't feel like oh it's a top three and then Man United are kind of in and around chomping at the heels. It feels like actually this is a top four now. Uh, you know pick up the points from Arsenal, taking away a point from from Man City. This this is definitely a you know a transformational shift in in Man United and what we can expect from them this season um, you know Mark Skinner again sort of saying you know coming off not feeling like they've had to defend for their lives uh, like they did sometimes last season I think um, that's one thing I write about Skinner I think he's, um, he's honest he's very honest uh, about the sort of expectations of the squad Um but, yeah, I thought the, the sort of the combination, the partnership between uh, Galton and Toon getting that first goal. I feel like Galton's someone, obviously, Ella Toon gets sort of a lot of, a lot of credit for, for things that she's been doing recently. But, but Galton as well, up there and around it, because she is absolutely goal hungry. Um, I mean, yeah, how have you found her form for the last couple of games, Rage?
1: She's been excellent. And I think she's an example of like when we talk about teams needing time it's those kind of link-ups that develop when they have that time and they've been together a little while now and and they read each other so well. And that Toon-Galton link-up for that goal was a perfect example of when teammates really start to click and get to know each other. And I know it can be frustrating for fans when we talk about giving teams time because Man United are still relatively young in the WSL. Um, So now we're seeing, like, we're seeing... And you know we've got that link-up play between Russo and Toon as well. You know, Nikita Paris getting in. Like... For, for me, Galton now is, is um, she's always been good, like we know that, but it's, it's great to see her shine because there are a number of players shining for Man United at the moment um, and it's great to see her up there as well getting those goals. That was a beautiful goal.
2: It was. I mean, it was. A, it was a, an absolute delight to watch, and obviously, everyone knows that I'm slightly biased. But uh, but it was. It was a thing of beauty. Yeah. I mean, it just it makes sense just to end off on that note after all this time, after this year. Um, but yeah, I mean before. <laughs> Everyone's getting a little bit bored of this chat. I think that's that's going to be my New Year's resolution, maybe, to tone it down on the Man United thing. (laughs) Uh, Otherwise, it would just become a a Man United upfront podcast. Um, But, yeah, I mean, Man City, I think we've we've got to touch on them. I know we've not spoken too much about them in sort of uh, the more recent pods that we've done, but won nine games in a row in all competitions before this, uh, you know, starting five of their new signings uh, before this game. I think last season was really tough for them at the start. They, they, you know, they... It didn't go to plan, Uh, but I think this season we have seen a bit of a a very a shift from them as well. I think they're, they're sort of building on confidence and seeming to, you know, get through a sort of a very initial difficult patch. Um, but yeah, I mean, Laura Coombs uh, impressing a lot of people. Um, Gareth Taylor saying, you know, after the game, uh, we win won all our games in the second half of the season. Um, we can win the league. I mean, Ray, right, do so you think that's possible to still win the league, given what we've got at the top of the table at the moment?
1: It's possible, yeah. It is possible, but it's not, a groundbreaking statement either that's just like kind of basic maths isn't it um you win all your games you win the league but that's not an easy task and uh, you know they are as you say they are quietly going about their business they started off dif- it was difficult to start um I think they struggled with figuring out what to do in that midfield um and I think maybe people wrote them off a little bit because of that and probably myself included because in the first few games I didn't really feel like Gareth Taylor had figured out what to do with that midfield. Um, I mean, step up Laura Coombs, because that is what she has done. She has absolutely stepped up. Um, I think Manchester United probably worried a bit too much uh, about Bunny Shaw, which is understandable. Um, and I think Laura Coombs massively capitalised on that. Um, you know, But she has scored four in the last nine games, which is as many as she scored the whole of last season in the WSL. Um, and I think, as, as I said, I think she's really stepped up in this kind of mass exodus um, for City when previously she's not really been given that much time. Like she only started six of those 16 games that WSL games last season. Uh, and now she's kind of getting in, starting, scoring um, and City have needed that. So I think it's great that she's reaping those rewards. Um, and it gives Man City more outlets, which I think is really important because at times, you know, we saw what happens if you, if you mark Hemp out of the game or you mark Chloe Kelly out of the game. You know, and then Bunny Shaw will struggle to to get fed and get balls fed into her. Um, So to have Laura Coombs able to step up like she did, uh, it's just another threat for Manchester City. And um, yeah, yes, they can still win the league. It is absolutely possible. And I think if they keep
2: quietly going about their business like they are, you know, you just never know what's going to happen. I think it's that, and they're one of those teams that you know they seem to come out and use that winter break as a bit of a kind of a refresh. Um, you know, we saw it last season; they came back, uh, they knew that they had to dig themselves out of quite a big hole, and they, and they did it. Um, you know, to get in that that final third spot in the end by by a point. So yeah, I think it'll be exciting to see. Obviously, we've still got half a season left to go, but it'll be exciting to see how they how they come out and how they start. Because I think that'll be a good indicator for for obviously where they they finish up. I mean, we've got to touch on now Arsenal. Uh, big weekend for them, coming from behind to beat Aston Villa 4-1. Uh, they're sitting now pretty tight at the top of the table in second spot. Uh, they have a game in hand to Chelsea. But yeah, I mean, it was uh, a really good game from them. Really good game. Uh, a different different one, because uh, I don't think anyone was expecting they were going to come from, uh, that they were going to go behind in, in the first place. Um, but yeah, I mean, great game. I mean, Rachel, you were there, weren't you, for that one?
1: I was not there, unfortunately. That one was... Um... On the phone for who who was I was sitting I was I wasn't driving so I got to watch some of it on the phone between um, Leighton and Kingsmeadow, and um, so I did see some of it on the phone yeah and uh, listen to the rest. It was you know what I think I, I thought Aston Villa might be tricky, um, so Arsenal going behind for me wasn't a huge surprise, um, but I think it was really really important for Arsenal's title hopes to get through these these last two WSL fixtures Everton and Villa. Um, so they obviously will be delighted. Um, I think they've managed this injury crisis so well compared to last season. They've definitely learned from it. Obviously, last season they had to face Chelsea in an FA Cup final. They had to face Barcelona. You know, arguably more difficult fixtures. Um, but still, they've had Juventus twice. Uh, and, and like I said, Villa and Everton can be can be tricky teams. So for their title chances, I think. They will be delighted that they have managed to, to win these games. And, and the Villa game, they ended up winning quite comfortably in the end. But credit to Villa. Like when you look at the stats from the goals, they, the chances they created, of the eight chances they created, six of them were on target. I think Arsenal created nearly double the chances, but only had one extra on target. So, you know, there's efficiency there in that, in that Villa
2: front line. And it's just a case now of turning those chances into goals absolutely and I think um, you know for me now I mean I, I again I'm, I'm not putting my flagpole here in the sand but you know I do think actually this could be Arsenal's season dare I say it Um I do think that this could be uh the, the time that we find Arsenal coming back to trophy glory. Um, they just look so bloody strong in, in on your on the European stage, in, in the WSL stage. I think, like you said, they've got a lot of people coming back from injuries, they've recruited well this season. I uh, you know, Idoval is 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 he's talking the business and he's doing the business. So I, I do think that this is um do you know what? I'm going to do a, a half-season review and I'm going to call it <laughs> Arsenal title winners. And that hurts. That hurts as a as, a, as an avid uh, Man United fan. Um, but again, also touching on uh, Chelsea, almost on the wrong end of a comeback with their three-dude defeat of Reading. Uh, again, like I said, leaves Chelsea at the top by three points, but Arsenal still with that that game in hand. But Rach, I mean, after that Manchester derby, do you think now that it's a four-way title battle, you know, Arsenal, Man City, Man United, Chelsea battle, out of the top. I mean, it could come down to goal difference. It's so tight at the moment.
1: Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, I know you've put your flagpole in the sand with Arsenal. Um, I think it's going to come down to that game in hand for them. Um, they, we've seen over the, the last couple of seasons, they're not great when they're chasing and Chelsea are very good when they're leading. So it depends on that game in hand for me. Um, if they win that, God, it's going to be so exciting because they still have to play each other and um, there's still you know big top four fixtures left in the second half of the season so yeah I think that that Manchester derby has just shown how tight it is and how difficult it is to call I think Chelsea have their nose in front of the moment they've not been playing their best football this season for me but they've still been winning so
2: yeah it's it's gonna be an exciting one four horse race for sure I mean, we've got to touch on now, uh, you know, another great derby. Maybe didn't go to plan for Brianne Skinner. Um, but again, we touched on the inconsistencies of of these two teams in our in our previous pod. I mean, Spurs, you know, losing points, I would say here, at least not picking up one point. Uh, they suffered a defeat against West Ham uh, 2-0. Um, yeah, they both looked quite... Leggy. It was a, a difficult, sort of boggy game. But um, just looked a little bit lacking, like they were sort of, you know, crawling towards the end of the season and the end of the game. Um, yeah, Rach, what did you think?
1: I thought it was a perfect
2: example of both
1: teams' inconsistency this season. Like, Spurs started so well. I don't know how they weren't 3-0 up in, in the first half. They were all over West Ham. They had a number of chances. You know, that game was crying out for a Star striker, which is something I think, and we've spoken about it before, that I think Spurs are missing. Interesting team choice. When I was when I was seeing players coming on for Spurs, I was like, why aren't they starting? Now look, maybe there's niggles, maybe there's injuries, but to see Jess Naz coming off the bench, Ashley Neville coming off the bench, Angara James coming off the bench, and I'm sitting here going, why are these? Why are they not starting? You know, Ash Neville, I feel, and she's not even a, a striker. I feel would have put some of those chances away in the first half, and. Whether that got to them mentally, whether it was physical in the second half, West Ham stepped up. And it was the same thing. They did the same against Liverpool, but obviously didn't get the points there. But their second half was completely different to their first half. Now, they missed a penalty, uh, which made me think, OK, maybe Spurs, this is Spurs' day. But within a couple of minutes of missing the penalty, Dagny Brynjaer's dot here scored for West Ham. And I I also recommend checking out the second goal. Howa Sissoko went on an adventure from defence, ran nearly (laughs) 60 metres down the pitch, um, the full length of the pitch nearly, uh, to score a goal and and lob Becky Spencer. So would recommend looking at that goal because that was excellent. Um, So, yeah, it was actually a really impressive performance from West Ham in the second half.
2: Yeah, I mean, there was, I mean, I love what you just said there about going on an adventure. That's going to stay with me now. <laughs> um, but uh, West Ham never finished higher than seventh in their two WSL campaigns. Uh, but now they're three points clear in fifth after five wins in their first 10 league games. Uh, you know, Spurs, on the other hand, whilst they seem to sort of start fairly well um, this season, uh, have lost five of their eight WSL matches so far and are closer to the bottom than they are to the top, which is slightly worrying for Spurs because they've always been been sort of you know quite firmly placed in the in the middle of the table um but yeah rachel i mean you mentioned there sort of you know things not clicking for them i also felt that sort of the choice of um you know the choice of players the choice of the starting 11 for, for that game was 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 suspect I think and it's sort of uh, well it's definitely backfired on them but yeah where do you think sort of Rianne Skinner needs to pick it up for for the second half of the season you you touched on there you know as well sort of trying to find that that star striker perhaps because they don't seem to have that that clinical person in in the box um, consistently every game
1: yeah I think they need to utilize um, the January transfer window whether that's getting players in permanently or on loan there's a World Cup coming up. There are going to be plenty of players, whether that's in the WSL or around European leagues or beyond, that are looking for game time and desperate to make a mark and get called up into their respective national squads. And I think Spurs really need to capitalise on that. They need to get themselves a player who can comfortably bang in goals. I mean, another player I think that came off the bench was Karshetska. Now, I think she's whether she'd, whether she'd had a knock um, or wasn't fully fit, I don't know. But they need someone who, not to carry the team but for me it's finishing those chances they're creating them and that's the most frustrating thing is that they're not putting them away and it is costing them you know they could have comfortably been 3-0 up on that game that would have made it a very very different second half for West Ham um, so yeah I think I'm, I'm really intrigued to see what they do in the, in the January transfer window
2: Yeah massively and I think even before we get to the January transfer window obviously we've got the Christmas break Uh, it's always a fantastic opportunity to give the players a a much needed rest especially for the teams at the top have also had the uh, you know the Champions League fixtures as well to to deal with you know we touched on before the ACL and MCL injuries and how important it is to get sort of rehab and and breaks in for for the players Um, you know normally have about two two three weeks off I think uh, yeah Palace are about about the same so um, yeah I know for me always it was a a period to reflect uh, you know, look at the season, how it's gone so far, also to spend some much needed time with, you know, friends and family and to get some um normality. I think this
1: break is so important and I've spoken to players about this before. Like obviously we don't have a Christmas break in the men's game, but for teams that are playing so many fixtures and have internationals that have been involved in tournaments back to back, this is such a valuable time for them to get some much needed rest. I know we've talked about teams further down the table not having as many fixtures but you know reading are still suffering from a lot of injuries they may not be playing a lot of fixtures but they still have a thin squad so for for teams it's a great time to to get players rested and get them fit again um and for teams like your man cities you know it's an opportunity to get more time together because they have a lot of new faces in the squad and it gives them more time to to gel and to bond and we're seeing already the benefits of them playing together they're they're getting better and better so that break is so important right through the table. And you also have to remember that in women's football, you're not kind of, uh, players aren't having their families, you know, flown over to where they're, where they're playing. And if you've got players, and there are a lot of players from outside of the UK, they're not having their families with them. They're not living with, like in the men's game, where everyone, most of the time, everyone comes over. Um, so it's a really much needed opportunity for them to to get home and see their loved ones as well. So yeah, I think this break is really, really important.
2: Massively, and we've got uh, the County Cup fixtures this weekend on on Sunday, uh, and then after that, the players will be off for, for about two two or three weeks or so. They'll probably go in for some light sessions and things, which will be lovely. Unless you in the uh, Champions And yeah, and the Champions League goes right Um, up until the twenty second, which is mad. That's uh, just 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 a couple of light games there as well. (laughs) No big deal. Um, But yeah, I mean, from everyone at up front to the WSL and Championship and National League and grassroots players, rest the hell up because it is going to be a pretty sticky second half of the season. right. I mean, we are going to spice it up a little bit. We're going to do things a little bit different to end up this section of our pod. Uh, We really want to touch on all the fantastic stuff that's gone on this season in the world of women's football because it has been a big-ass year for everyone. So, we're going to give our single best moment of the year, then the one player, coach or any figure in football we'd like to thank after 2022, and then the one team whose football we'll never forget from this year we'll also compile a list of new year's resolutions for women's football but of course when you think of 2022 you think of the euros i mean we're going to talk about our single favorite moment uh, from me and rach but we've also asked a couple of our contributors from the past few months to send in their thoughts to see us out for the year i mean we've had a lot of incredible guests come on Uh, but first up we've got jesse parker Humphreys, who sent us their favorite moment of the year
3: I've got to go with Georgia Stanway's extra-time screamer against Spain. I just felt so down and out in that game, convinced England were going out in the quarterfinals and it didn't feel like our time to go. And for Georgia Stanway to to step up in extra time hearing the whole stadium scream <laughs> shoot, for her then to, to smash that ball past Sandra Panos. the game was at Brighton as well, which is, you know, where I live, so to kind of feel like it, it was a home match and just such a, a fantastic result and, for me, really, the, the high Let's point of the, of the summer in the year. Goes for goal! Oh, my word!
2: I mean, it was a beauty. I feel like every single goal in that tournament, you, we, me, me and me and Rach were just smiling about it then, because it just takes you back to that moment where you saw it. Uh, I was in a, I was, I was just finished doing a panel actually in some law offices uh, near where I work, and it was uh, an event with the uh, the Athletic, and all of us in this, it was quite, you know, posh offices. You know, we had to be quite reserved. It was, you know, very sort of champagne reception type vibe, and all of us lost our shit when that goal <laughs> went in. I was. Before this I'd been head in hands. Oh my god, we're going home. It was uh, it was carnage. But yeah, Rach, where were you for that for that special moment?
1: I was the other end of the pitch with my camera. Probably had my head in my hands. I do think I looked up at the right moment because I could see the Spanish defence just kind of parting like the Red Sea, which you do not do against George Stanway. Um so yeah, that's where I was, because I was really pulling my hair out during that game I'm not good during extra time and actually last night I was at the premiere of the documentary Lionesses when football came home and it's excellent by the way I would recommend it when it comes out to watch but they speak about that goal um, and I swear I still felt the nerves of that Spain game watching it back watching them speaking about it Um, and Lee Williamson said I mean it was I think it was Nikita Paris or Jill Scott who said you just don't move back from Georgia Stanway when she's got the ball in that range and they watched the Spanish players do it from the bench but Leah Williamson had said if if Georgia hadn't shot I would have torn her head off so I think a lot of the players on the pitch kind of knew knows what she can do saw the opportunity and it's those moments in games isn't it like you need to seize those opportunities, those flashes of opportunities and they can turn a game on its head. And that was, for me, that turned the Euros on its head, that goal.
2: Great there to have some insight as well from you about, you know, Leah Williamson's style of captainship there. It was, <laughs> um, yeah, like, love that. Straight down the line. No <laughs> no, uh, no messing about from her. Um, I mean, we also asked my former teammate, Jenna Scalacci uh, and friend of the pod. I say that very loosely. Uh, and actually it's great that Jenna's <laughs> actually fair. responded to a message. I've not heard from her in about two weeks now. Um, but she joined us for our big WSL preview and she gave us this
3: as her favourite Euro moment. My special moment of 2022 has to be the day the Lionesses boy at home, the Euros final. It was an absolutely incredible day, um, which changed the face of the women's game in England and around the world forever. Um, the whole tournament was just unreal. Um, the record crowds the atmospheres, the performances from the Lionesses. But the final was just something that dreams are made of. I was lucky enough to be working the day, so I I was there from 7am and got to really soak up the atmosphere. And, you know, seeing the young girls walking down Wembley Way with the excitement on their faces, with their families, their dads, their brothers, and then seeing grown men with women's names on the back of their shirt, you really felt something special was about to happen. But, yeah, I mean, the match itself was unreal. And then the Lionesses sealed the deal an extra time with that incredible Chloe Kelly celebration at the end. Um, and I was also lucky enough to uh, sit next to Chloe Morgan's dad for the match, which was even, made the day even more special.
2: I mean, I love that she's given a shout-out to Clive, man, because he will absolutely rate that. Um, But, yeah, everything that Jenna's just said has given me absolute goosebumps. It was such a phenomenal day, and I think, you know, we were so privileged to be able to to be there. It's a moment that I'll never forget. And, and I mean, Jenna's so right. It was so... um, The the potential for the day and what it meant to everyone in the women's football uh, community, whether that was, you know, as a coach, a player, part of the media, broadcast, journalism, campaigner, advocate, everybody, it just meant so much. Yeah, that was, um, I haven't picked it as my single moment purely because
1: I am able to pick that further down our our, our awards. Um, But yeah, that was, it was a special summer. Um, And as you say, for all the various different people involved in the game in whatever fashion um, it was a culmination of a lot of hard work, and um, a moment to to savor absolutely. And, and yeah, that pod on Wembley Way at the end was such a nice way to to round it all off before we went and partied.
2: I mean, I was I mean, I was absolutely steaming. I don't know whether yep, anyone picked were. up on that from uh, from that podcast, but I turned up about two hours late. Yeah. Um, I'd been in uh, Box Park, uh, obviously doing some, you know, really high profile, you know, incredible, incredible journalistic work uh, in, in the midst of things, and then rocked up on, on Wembley Way to see uh, Flo and Rach sitting there um, very patiently, not even the slightest bit miffed. Um, and it was the arches were there, and then all of a sudden, you know, Emma Hayes, Rachel Brown Finnis come tottering along out of the, we'd not even organised it, <laughs> came tottering along, uh, slightly a little bit worse to wear themselves, and then Rachel brown finished join us on that podcast and it was just um it was just a, uh, the magic of the day just exploded again and um it was just a fantastic way to see out what had been an incredible summer for for all of us i mean we'd covered about i think it was about 15 or 16 episodes that we did in in, in the space of about three three four weeks and it was um yeah it was beautiful. It was absolutely beautiful. It's definitely one of uh my favorite highlights from the year if not my entire life at 32 <laughs> years old. So um yeah it was uh, it was incredible. But yeah Rachel I mean, you touched on there that you've got another another highlight from the year what what was yours what what could possibly beat the Euros well, go on. here
1: I would ask myself the same question. What could possibly make the, this year better? Um and for me it was Amber Barrett scoring against Scotland with What was probably her first touch of the match to put Ireland through to their first ever major tournament um, and to the World Cup. And it had been such a convoluted process for Ireland to A, get into the playoffs, B, get through to the more favourable side of the playoffs that they didn't have to play to. So they needed multiple results to go their way. And then on the day of the playoffs, no, I'm not, I'm not. Just trust me, it was was convoluted. (laughs)
0: Um,
1: And then on the day of the playoff, just a win wasn't enough. Again, they needed other results to go their way. So for all of that to fall into place um, was incredible. And and there was an extra layer, which probably not many knew about, um, to that goal. Amber Barrett is from Donegal in the north of Ireland, and and four days earlier there had been a really tragic. event happened in a in a town that some of her family live in and that she used to visit a lot as a child up in Donegal in Chrysler and there was a, an explosion at a service station and 10 people were killed um, and it was a really really kind of dark day, um, very very sad and four days later um, she was in Scotland came on the pitch as a sub and, and scored that very, very poignant goal. And they were all wearing black armbands and she kissed the black armband after she scored the goal and then dedicated her goal to the the 10 victims of that tragedy. And it just, there was so much to that match. And to have that kind of added layer to the, the goal was, yeah, it was a very, very special day. And I didn't think the year could get better. And it absolutely did getting to see Ireland qualify. So that would be my my single moment, I think.
2: The return of Emma Hayes after a, you know, a difficult personal um, issue with her, the emergency surgery. Her coming back, I think, um, was been absolutely brilliant to see at the, at the end of this season. Um, Sam Kerr, rugby tackling a pitch invader to the floor <laughs> has got to be up there with uh, a top highlight. Um Mary Earps dancing on the press conference table after the Women's Euros. Yes. Again, absolutely iconic. Um, and also Jill Scott winning the jungle uh, and given a post-match interview on stage in Trafalgar Square to the Euro Championship trophy. Uh, also one of my top uh, comic highlights. Um, and for me, I think personally, uh, retiring from Palace, retiring from football, uh, calling it a day, hanging up my boots and uh, and watching the next generation of talent coming through has been a personal highlight for me. So. Um, um, but we'll go on now to um, a little bit of a kind of reflection on some people who have meant a lot of us, a lot to us throughout this season. Um, so, Rach, is there anyone, sort of, any player, coach, person uh, in your life uh, in the game that you'd like to thank for for anything this uh, this year? So, I
1: struggled a bit with this one because <laughs> it ended up being a toss up between Serena Viegman and Vera Powell. <clears> two <throat> Dutch coaches, obviously, um, Serena Coaching England and Vera Coaching Ireland. So maybe I should just thank the Netherlands for giving us um, such incredible coaches, both of them doing historical things with their, um, their respective nations that they're coaching. Um, and both of them just being a really, just a really great example and inspiration. Um, and I think have inspired many people, not just by what they've done on the pitch, but what they've done off the pitch, and how they've gone about their job, um, and I think yeah, both of them for me have probably stood out. And maybe it's not very sentimental because it's not very personal, but I get you know for me it is for the the um, years I've been working in the game, um, that what they've done this year for uh, the women's game, both in Ireland and England, has been pretty epic.
2: Wait, another great one from you. Oh, <laughs> that is... is. Yeah, you're, um, you're making it very difficult to kind of um, come up with my own here. Um, I think uh, for me, on a personal level, it's got to be a player. And that player is, uh, is Lee Nickel, uh from Palace. Uh, she is someone that I've known now for for a few years. And we actually started off as kind of frenemies. Uh, very different, very different people. Um, and I think over the uh, over the past few years, we've obviously been through, through quite a lot together. Um, but she's become like one of my absolute... Football Bezzers, uh, the work that she does off the pitch uh, and supporting the squad in... Being there for everyone and being the most positive influence on the team, the campaign work that she does about you know some of the issues that have affected her mental health, she's so honest about it. Um, you know, sharing her story in a particularly dark moment in in her life and, and turning that into a positive and you know influencing a lot of people at, at top level uh, about how things can, can get better. I think um, she's definitely been someone that I you know even though she's a lot younger than I am, uh, she's someone that I definitely look up to and she's been an incredible support to me personally and also so uh throughout the game so massive shout out to lee nickel man because yeah i don't really i give her a lot of stick i give her a lot of shit um in the changing room but actually she's she's uh one of my idols one of my heroes um
1: oh so it was lovely
2: oh you, uh, yeah well i just you know you've got you got to say these things i just feel a little bit you know maybe i'm getting old getting soft in my old age um, so nice. but yeah <laughs> Rach, Moving on now to the team whose football you'll never forget from 2022, and we can't just pick England because of all the things that they've they've done this season. It's got it's got to be a, it's got to be it's got to be deeper than that.
1: Yeah, so I'm going to pick England um, because I'm, <laughs> I don't care what you say. <laughs> um, I think again, you know, having having covered the game for the for the the last ten years and the the varying emotions that I've experienced at major tournaments with Sophie. Um, the ups and downs, the kind of, the the eras of poor football, the kind of panic feelings when you used to watch uh, England play, um, the fear when you used to watch them play, never really knowing how the game was going to go or or how the players were going to play or where their heads would be at. Um, so for me, the football that England has played in 2022 has been some of the most enjoyable to watch. And it's very nice to be able to have that feeling again for a team that you support. And I'm sure lots of people experience those highs and lows with their, you know, domestic team that they support. You, you go through periods of difficult times and hard to watch and difficult seasons. And when you get those those seasons where everything's going right and you get to enjoy those matches and you get to feel that kind of confidence watching football and you get to appreciate the hard work that's gone into getting the team where they are. Um that's what it felt like watching England this year. And watching them win the Euros and, and watching them play different types of football and having to adapt and having to come back from games. And that Spain game, as we touched on, was a huge example of that. Um, yeah, so for me, that was like, that's been the most enjoyable football and the most enjoyable team to watch.
2: Oh, my God, that was absolutely stunning. You've done it again. You've absolutely <laughs> done it again. It's going to get really emotional, isn't it? It's going to be one of those emotional um, emotional podcasts you both just end up like, in tears at the end. Um <laughs> I think for me it's gotta be Man United. I mean, surprise, surprise, I know, but that game against Arsenal a couple of weeks back when they that, that was just so historic for me. Um, and the game itself, I mean the battle into the end, the last 10-15 minutes were absolute carnage. And I think that was a real shift for me. So yeah, that is that's that's a game that I will never forget and you know, we'll see what happens with, with the team um, in the in the second half of the season. New Year's resolutions, I'm the first one to make a New Year's resolution and flop out within about, uh, by by about January the 3rd, actually. Um, But first up, we've got a friend of the show. Uh, She is an upfront badge-wearing guest that we've had on, Dulwich player, um, Salon Andy Hickman. She sent us her New Year's resolution. My New Year's resolution
3: for women's football, I should probably say women's football's New Year's resolution in 2030. Oh no God, wrong year. Hang on. <laughs> Take two. My New Year's resolution for women's football in 2023 is that it cannot lose its soul to this hyper quick commercialization and capitalist view of it that the men's game wins. So it can't be it can't become the Premier League. So that is my news resolution, protect the essence, protect the magic, the beauty, the camaraderie and the community. Didn't mean for that to rhyme, but it did. So um, you you can have that one for free.
2: I mean, beautiful words. I don't know how we're going to beat this one. Uh, We'll come to our New Year's resolutions in a sec, Rach. But we also have someone that Rachel's very familiar with. Uh, We, of course, had to get Sophie Downey's resolution as well. Uh, Rachel's wife and other half of Girls on the Ball. Uh, Here's what she had to say. So my New Year's resolution for women's football is to try and amplify
1: as much as possible Um, the stories of those that we don't often hear about we hear a lot about the the players in the top teams in the top top of the league um, and obviously the lionesses but there are so many stories to be told throughout the league throughout the tiers of women's football um, and I think they deserve to be told more so whether that's through the mainstream media or whether it's through
2: us at girls in the ball I want to try and amplify those stories as much as possible I mean, I couldn't agree more with the fact that we need to keep the beautiful essences of the women's game uh, and the fact that there are so many stories to tell at every, at every level, from from grassroots all the way up to WSL, um, about the amazing backstories of players, staff, people in and around the game. Uh, and it's not just about the players and it's not just about the teams. It's about, you know, the likes of us up front, about girls on the ball uh, and all the other, you know, um uh, and other news outlets and uh, the social media um, teams who are making who are making people more aware about these stories. I mean, obviously, I feel very
1: similar to what Soph said, and it's something that we liked would want to do more of um, using our platform of Girls in the Ball is is to tell those stories. Um, I think for me, the biggest thing on the horizon is the World Cup, and after having such an incredible summer at the Euros, I kind of want to like absolutely commit to giving as much if not more to that World Cup in terms of coverage and I know it's going to be difficult because not everyone's going to be able to get out to Australia and New Zealand it's a long way away it's a very different time zone um so I think maybe maybe not so much a a resolution but like a commitment to trying to bring that tournament to life as much as possible for people who aren't able to get
2: there in whatever format that may be
1: so that's what I'm going to focus on for, for next year.
2: My New Year's resolution was to basically find the magic in small moments. So whether that is a, a personal one for me or whether that is, you know, one for for other people, um, for clubs, teams, uh, anyone, really. I think, um, you know, it's obviously been a difficult couple of years with the pandemic. Um, it's been uh, it's been difficult for people all, all around. So I think... Um, Finding women's football, I think, as a beautifully supportive network, uh, a lovely atmosphere, the positivity around it. I think, sort of focusing on some of those big sort of takeaway points, because that for me has been um, a massive help for me personally uh, through some difficult patches. And um, yeah, and being a part of this uh, this podcast uh, with, with you guys has also um, been a real uh, magical moment this year. Really cheesy. That no, was really I like cheesy, that, not it? It's a good one. I mean, there's been some amazing, amazing resolutions come out of that. Um, I mean, finding the magic in small moments, amplifying new voices, keeping the sense of community going whilst the game grows into into 2023, I think... Um yeah, that, I don't think we could have ended on a, on a better note there. And obviously, you know, you guys, you listeners out there, we've been absolutely, I mean, I just want to say a massive, massive thank you uh, thank for you. all your comments, for, for listening, for taking the time to, you know, speak to us, to share your thoughts and feelings on certain topics. Uh, that's been absolutely amazing and, and for all the support that you've given us um, over this past year and a half and, and especially this year, it's been um, incredible and we really do appreciate that. And I mean that from the bottom of our upfront hearts, um, if you have... any any suggestions at all for anything that you'd, might, that you'd like to hear more of, anything we can do better, we are always open, always open uh, to, to hearing your, your thoughts and feelings. Um, and also a massive thanks to our guests as well. Um, we've touched on some incredibly important topics this year, uh, the the abuse uh, in the American game, uh, diversity within football, the LGBTQ plus community, and, and just recently the ACL and, and MCL injury uh, endemic. So it's, um, yeah, we've, um, as well as covering all the games that have, that have happened, We've, uh, we've also covered some incredibly important topics and it's something that we are definitely looking to do more of in, in the coming years. So watch this space. Uh, and also we've got a big tournament coming up next year. So I think that's something that me and Rach are very much looking forward to. I think we're going to be out there for that. Uh, so again, watch this space because uh, up front, down under, I think we came up with, didn't we, Rach? Um, could be heading your way very, very soon. Thank you so much for joining us today on Upfront. This is our final episode before the new year, of course, but we'll be back on Tuesday, January the 10th, ahead of the return of the WSL that weekend. In the meantime, tweet us at Football Ramble. I am at Morgie underscore 89 and Rach is at Girls on the Ball. We will see you next time. Peace out, listeners. Happy Christmas. Happy New Year.
0: Upfront is a Stack production and part of the ACAST Creator Network. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much.